Hey guys. Um, also, I wanted to just um, let you know too that the first of all tomorrow, Mooresville Christian Academy, our, our high school, and middle school, we had our first chapel, and uh, our guess who our our first speaker is? Not me. Scott Forsyth, our middle school youth leader. So be praying for Scott. It's going to be awesome. I just have a real sense and an anticipation about not only the school, but also our chapel services this year. So uh, please pray for Janet and Tommy McCraw as they're leading us and, and Ann Hartness in the elementary. We've had a great first week. So thank you for your prayers and uh, excited about that going on. Also, for those of you, a lot of new faces in here, for those of you who are kind of new to the church, want to point out that this little booklet is out on the table out there where you can find out where to get plugged in more in small groups or life groups. And one particular one starts tomorrow night, and that's at uh, Jim and Kathy Hill's house. There's Kathy right here coming in with a fresh cup of coffee. And uh, so there will probably be plenty of coffee there anyway. And uh, so anyway, that's on the back page actually. And their focus to start out with is going to be Lance Wallnau's teachings on DVD about the seven mountains of influence in a society and really how, to, uh, how the Lord can use you to be involved in not just the church, but in education, media, etc., etc., on seeing a, a kingdom shift, amen? Seeing a, a, an awakening happen, which is kind of convenient, part of what I want to talk about this morning. So, uh, Also, before we get really started here, I wanted to get uh, recognize somebody who's here with us this morning. And uh, I'm just going to flip this off, Donna. Yeah, that's uh, Terry Stokes. I'm going to come back here to you, Terry, because Terry's got a broken leg here that the Lord's going to heal him off. So are you able to stand up? Okay, if you can't, that's fine. You can sit down. But uh, this is Terry, and uh, it was a week before last, he had a run-in with somebody in our church. And I just wanted to share, I wanted him to share with you um, what the Lord's done in your life and, you know, about that experience. Uh. Be happy to. First off, I'd like to uh, tell you people how happy we are to be here this morning. We've never been here before. And uh, I was able to have a, a reunion with an old good friend of mine, uh, John Arney. We spent 10 years together in business. So we're happy to be here. Uh, Sunday night a week ago, uh, my wife and I were in the process of moving and four years prior to this, I was diagnosed of having pancreatic cancer. So as we all know, that's number one on the list for being lethal. And my doctor had given me roughly about five months to live. So uh, it started a long process. And uh, about three months ago, they found a lesion on my liver. And the natural progression from pancreatic cancer is to your liver. So things really didn't look good, and that was kind of the natural thing to happen. So they wanted to wait three months to see how much this lesion would grow and to see if there was anything they could do uh, or whatever. So that three months was coming up Monday a week ago, and uh, my wife and I stopped at a Mexican restaurant in Statesville. Why we did, I'm not real sure, but we pulled in. And they were having some parties, and every, all the places on the right were all full of people laughing going on. So we asked, could we sit up stairs uh, a couple steps up? It was closed. They said, yeah, that'd be fine. Says so the wait service might be a little slow, but you can go there. So we go up, and they removed the reserve sign. And we sat down, 
And about halfway through our meal, a gentleman came in, and he looked at me, had a warm smile, and sat down at a booth next to me. And I thought, well, they must have opened this up. But they had not. And while he was there, the manager came in and was asking me about my cane and what happened with my leg. So we were talking about that, and I don't remember how we drifted into the cancer episode, but I filled him in. So after he walked away, this gentleman that was sitting in the booth came over, put his hand on my shoulder, and said he couldn't help but overhear what I was discussing and wanted to discuss it a little bit more. His name was John Raphael, a member here. It's Grabiel. Oh, Grabiel. Yeah, yeah. And um, so uh, I told him everything that had taken place in the four years, and then he asked me, nice and politely did I mind if he would pray for me I said no I'd welcome that so he grasped my hand kept his hand on my shoulder and during the prayer he went step by step through all the things that I had really been through and what I was facing the next day so as we started to leave we walked over to his booth and thanked him and then I told him apparently the Lord must have directed him there that night as well as us he said, well, what you don't know is he had went to another restaurant in Statesville, and when he got inside, he realized he had left his wallet in the car. So he goes back out to his car to get his wallet, and he had the strongest urge to go to the Mexican restaurant. The only two booths that were occupied was mine and his. So I thanked him and told him that, you know, God works in some marvelous ways. I went on about my way. And the next day I'm at Baptist Hospital and I do my MRI and my scan. And what I was worried about was how much it had grown and what could they do. And surprisingly, the doctor came in and, and told me that there was no lesion in sight. It was completely gone. Woo! So... So not only you know, I thank God, but it's obvious that he sent John uh, either as an angel or a messenger that night because uh, here I am with, with no lesion on my liver, and, and I'm happy to be with you. Thank you. Before to sit down, just, um, you were telling me when he started praying for you, tell them what you were telling me that you, were, you started feeling. That's true. When uh, All while he was talking to me, he kept his hand on my shoulder. Then when he asked to pray, he grasped my right hand. And as he started praying, it was the strangest feeling. It was just like my body was electrified. And I told my wife after he walked away, I said, you know, all of this is so unbelievable how it happened. A, a section that was totally closed, and we asked permission to go up. Then here comes someone else that didn't even ask, I guess. He just walked up and takes a seat. But the feeling I had was, uh, needless to say, uh, make your hair stand up your neck. So uh, I was always a believer, but more so now than ever. So let's pray. We're going to pray for his leg right now, okay? God, just do it again. Marlon, come on over here, and y'all just stretch out your hands now. When did you, when did you fracture this? Yeah, I fractured it twice. We, uh, I told my wife, she's a good uh, follower. I told her, how about when we go to the beach, pack your things and just a couple suitcases so we don't have too many trips to make up. Well, she did a good job. They were so heavy, I couldn't even hardly carry them. So uh, during the course of going up three flights of stairs, I apparently had a stress fracture in the back of my leg. 
after one month of wearing this boot, I was not getting any better. So I go back and they did a bone scan and they sure enough they found that there was another uh, break in the front. So I've had it on now two months and I'm starting to make a little progress. So uh, hopefully in another month. All right, here comes that electricity. Marlon, just put your hand down there. Holy Spirit, come right now. We just release the healing fire of God just to flow through Terry's leg right now. We command that bone to fuse right now in Jesus' name. We say, leg be healed, be whole in Jesus' name right now. Right now, right now. Just flow right now through that leg. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your healing power. Thank you for touching Terry, God. Thank you for freedom, Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks for sharing. Good stuff, huh? Thank you, Lord. I tell you, man, I just... This cancer thing is just uh, really interesting, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's got to go. And uh, Chris's mom was just diagnosed with leukemia the day before yesterday. So let's pray for her. Can we, Chris? You come up here. And we're just going to take time right now to just believe God to do a miracle here. And uh, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, you're not restricted by space and time. So we lay hands right now upon our brother Chris, Lord. Um, in representation for his mom, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, come upon her in her hospital bed right now. We command all that leukemia to die right now in her body. And we speak life into her body. We speak wholeness into her body. And we say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Rise up, body. Rise up, body. Leukemia, go. We command every cancer cell to die right now. I command you, spirit of cancer, just to loose her body right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for commissioning your word, Lord. Say the word. She'll be healed, God. Thank you, God. Surround Chris and Amy and their family with peace. Lord, let faith rise in their hearts, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We just keep going after it. There's some other people we're going to pray for here and shortly too. So, uh, woo, well, I guess that would be number eight then. Number eight on the list of uh, cancer or forms of cancer that have been healed so far. We got seven just last week. So thank you, Lord, for that. Um, you know, I uh, last week, Sarah and I started this this two-part series on the fundamentals. And uh, if you were here last week, you know, I gave this little illustration, Vince Lombardi, you know, the famous Green Bay Packers coach. And, uh, you know, he'd come into training camp every year, and this is where he'd start. Guys, this is a football. You know, and then everything else just kind of goes from there. So kind of going back to the basics and starting with the fundamentals. So in a sort of way, last week we were talking about seeking him in the secret place. And the power of that. And this morning I want to talk about um, kind of this crossroads, or not crossroads, but fork in the road. And, and I want to bring in a couple applications for you as an individual or as a family, but also corporately for us as a body here at River Life. And, uh, you know, I was thinking that um, 
on the road to my hometown, there is, uh, there's a fork. And if you take the right fork, you end up at this really great place. Some call it Blue Heaven. You know, it's home of the Tar Heels. It's a really beautiful place in Chapel Hill. And it's, it's just a really nice kind of, uh, shall we say, effervescent feel in the air. Um, but if you take, if you, if you have a misfortune, and I don't, I don't recommend this, of taking the left fork and stay on I-85 instead of getting off on I-40, you end up at a place that, well, shall we just say that their uh, mascot is the blue devil, so to me you end up in blue hell. You know, so you choose. Jesus said there's two roads a man can take. You know, one leads to life and one left leads to destruction. And uh, so if you want to go to blue heaven, go to the right. Okay, anyway. Uh, and Stacy McCraw um, happened to let me know that they did win a game yesterday. So we said enjoy that because it will probably be the last one of the season. And uh, so congratulations to all you Duke fans. But anyway, um, <laughs> let's go to Mark chapter 6, shall we? Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Yeah. We need a shift there, don't we, Jim? <laughs> Something didn't go over so well about that. I think the uh, Duke fans must be outweighing the... Carolina fans in the house. And for you Panther fans, this is a short but amazing message. Yeah, that's right. Please stay until God is finished. All right. Here we go. Mark chapter 5. I'm sorry, I said 6. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. This is kind of a story within a story. When Jesus had again crossed over... By boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Can you feel the pain in his voice? Can you hear the desperation in his tone? I mean, my little daughter, she's dying, Jesus. What do I do now? Can you come with me? The story digresses, and here's the story within a story. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she'd be considered unclean. She wouldn't be allowed by the Jewish leaders in this situation to be Amongst the general population. So this is a great risk that she gets ready to take here. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all she had. Does that resonate with anybody? Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. That phrase there, I will be healed, is translated sozo. You know, I believe that in that situation there, she got saved and healed at the same moment. She got it all. She said, if I can just get a hold of Jesus, and I feel like the Lord just did something in her heart, and she got healed in the same moment. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And watch this. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She felt something. Terry, you said you felt something. That's why, just a little side note, when you're praying for the sick, 
Even before you start praying, say, hey, if you feel anything, stop and let me know. I don't mind if you interrupt my prayer. Just let me know what's going on, because often that's a good sign of what's going on in a person's body as you're praying. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So the prayer and the prayee both felt something. Call that a healing anointing. Jesus felt an anointing being released from his body. How many people have ever felt that yourself? You've been praying for somebody and you felt something. go. Now you don't always feel it, do you? And I've seen God heal people when they felt zero. You know, both ways. But it is an interesting thing to note. You see, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? They just didn't understand that. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. See, there's the worship. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has sozoed you, has healed you, has saved you, has delivered you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now we go back to the other story. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now here's a pivotal moment, isn't it? This is a fork in the road. It says that Jesus ignored what they said. Now how many people know sometimes you have to ignore some voices? There are times where a doctor's report comes that you ignore that report. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not take sound medical advice. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in your heart, in terms of your faith, sometimes you have to reject that fear and let faith rise. Let faith take over. Amen? Sometimes those reports might agree with the Word of the Lord, but you need the Word of the Lord first, not the report first. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Why not? Why just the three? Were they better looking? Dressed nicer? I know, James had a BMW to get him there. Now, do you think maybe even within the inner circle of the twelve, there were some that Jesus said, these guys have faith for it. Let's go, guys. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Dean, where are you? Talitha kum, which means... Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Interesting story here. Let's flip over just chapter 6. Right after this experience with Peter, James, and John, Jesus then takes the other nine, including them, and what does He do with them? In, John, in Mark chapter 6, Verse, um, let's start in verse 7, I think it was. 
Now, this is just, I looked it up, this was within a matter of months, okay, if not weeks, I'm not sure which, after this event with Jairus' daughter, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over every evil spirit, over evil spirits. And these were his instructions, let's skip over to verse 12. And so then they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Hey, by the way, there was somebody in the first service that this really helped. So maybe there's somebody here too. The reason why we have an anointing oil up here is just because of what we read, among other places in the New Testament. Why do we lay our hands upon the sick? Because Jesus did. And He commissioned the twelve to do that and others, including us. So that's kind of what we do, the fundamentals. That's why we do what we do. So they went out and they preached and they did the stuff. And you know how exciting that is. Or if you've never seen that happen, how exciting it would be. You go out, every evil spirit's flying out of people. Everybody, almost everybody you touch is getting healed just like that. You're like, man, this is cool. They come back to Jesus. They're so excited. And what does Jesus say to them? Some very practical advice. Hey guys, let's take a rest. There's a big crowd here. Let's pull away and take a break. Maybe we should learn from that sometimes. Grab yourself a bite to eat. It's time to rest now. You know, it's interesting. It's like everything the disciples wanted to do, Jesus was the opposite. Almost like, don't, why are you bothering him? Hey, let him bother me. You know, let's go and do some stuff. Let's take a break. Let's eat. You know, it's like, seems to be the complete opposite. Maybe his ways aren't our ways. I don't know. Now, the next story in Mark chapter 9. The healing of a boy with an evil spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who, who is possessed by a spirit. You can see that same desperation that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, wait a second. Aren't those the same disciples that he just sent out and came back all pumped up because all the evil spirits were going out? So why couldn't they get this one out? Jesus kind of rebukes them mildly for their unbelief. How long shall I stay? How, how should I put up with you? So then, of course, the story goes. Jesus asked the boy's father, I'm in verse 21. How long has he been like this? Hey, time out. There's another great example of how to pray for the sick. Make sure you ask him, when did this happen? How long have you been like this? Was there anything going on in your life right around the time that this illness began? It might be interesting to see what they'll tell you and the Holy Spirit can reveal to you as a way to pray and see what God's doing. Maybe that's one of the mistakes that the disciples made here. Because if you notice, Jesus heals the boy. Immediately the boy's father claimed... Oh, wait, one more thing though. Let's look in verse 22. From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, 
What do you mean, if you can do anything? Everything is possible for him who believes. That's a very confrontational passage, isn't it? If you can. This is a pivotal moment. You know, right or left. If you can. So then the story goes to save time. Jesus heals the boy, right? And then later, as his disciples are questioning about this, his reply is just simply one sentence. This kind can come out only by prayer. And, 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 the, and the, some manuscripts say prayer and fasting, and that's a whole other thing that I could talk about. But you can almost see the like, disciples scratching their head going, prayer. Isn't that kind of like what we did? Like we prayed? What does he mean this only comes out by prayer? You know? And there could be a lot of things in that. I think primarily, again, it goes back to seeing the way that God sees things, not the way we see things. I think it goes back to even last week's message about seeking Him in the secret place and understanding His voice and His promptings. Okay, but also, it's kind of interesting here that in this dilemma of trying to figure out how to do this, they're just befuddled by this statement. You know, and maybe they just didn't take the time to really consider what prayer is. You know, what communicate, what I only do what I see the Father doing is. You know? So they're kind of, you see these disciples at this fork in the road. These are the fundamentals. They're in Holy Ghost boot camp. I mean, the Holy Ghost hadn't come upon them yet, but Jesus is there and He's training them and He's raising them up and showing them how to do these things. But yet, they can't quite figure out these little mysteries that He's telling them. He, they can't quite figure out, how, in this case, how to get this boy set free. And they don't really understand. Maybe it's that they don't understand at least who, if we step into the future a few months, resides within them. Maybe sometimes it's our problem is we understand it here, but with the mind of our heart, we don't have the revelation of what it means when Paul said that Christ, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, resides within you. You know what I'm saying? That that same resurrection power resides within you. So have you ever noticed how Jesus didn't say, all right, here's what I want you 12 disciples to do, and then later the 70. I want you to go out there and pray for God to heal the sick. No, instead, he said, I want you to go out there and I want you to heal the sick. What's the difference? It's by letting an outflow out of you flow out and God's spirit through you heal the sick. Amen. Do you guys believe this? Okay, here's the pivotal application in this pivotal moment that I see for our church at River Life Fellowship. Is seeing ourselves from God's perspective as His ambassadors. As His representatives. That's just simply it. As speaking to those legs and commanding them to be whole. As speaking to those cancer cells and commanding them to die. Not because I'm some great mighty man or woman of power and faith and da 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 and I, I stand on the pulpit on Sunday. But because as a Christian, as a believer, the faith of God resides in me and the power of God resides in me. Now let me, let me illustrate that, what I mean by that, alright? In Acts, well first of all in, in John 7.37, where did Jesus say, let's look at this, on the last day Jesus stood and cried out. And I've got a microphone on so I'm not going to yell, but I want you to hear Jesus yelling this. It says he cried it out. 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Literally out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. So God initiates downpours. And from that initiation, He releases outpours from us. Let me show you what I mean by that. Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Acts chapter 2, and probably for the 9,562nd time, you've read Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, who was responsible for that? God or man? God was responsible. That was a Holy Ghost downpour, wasn't it? The heavens opened... Things were heard, things were seen, and God's Spirit came with tremendous power. Did it stay that way? I don't know. Did it? Well, it did for at least a while. 2006, next month. You know, uh, pretty much, I don't know that the women at the women's retreat did anything except for just say yes to the Holy Spirit and a mighty Holy Spirit downpour came upon that women's retreat. Any ladies remember that? A downpour came. Just a sovereign thing. See, it all all begins and ends with God. A sovereign thing came. God poured out. Now what? Now three years later, we've seen some ebbs and flows of that. We've seen some really amazing things happen. Uh, We just heard testimony of one more example of that that we had never seen happen before. Just an amazing thing that God is doing. So here's the situation with the disciples, the apostles. This is Acts chapter 6 now. Um, Yeah, verse verse 2, or yeah, in those days, verse 1, when the disciples, uh, sorry about that. When the the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their windows, widows, windows, their windows were being overlooked. Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what's going on here? You got an administrative crisis. You know, I think that's what happens when God downpours a lot. It creates messes. It creates problems. And I think there's a lot of moves of God in denominations that started with downpours that got so focused on serving tables and administrative stuff that uh, today are basically a country club. You know what I'm saying? But it all started with a downpour. So how did we get to country club? Maybe there was some keys here. So what did they do? The twelve gathered together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Notice the application of wisdom there. Some administrative juice on that. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. 
This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip. And then they list five other guys too. Well, this is kind of strange to me because have you ever noticed that these seven guys were chosen to wait on tables? They were like the church administrators. But then what happens in the very couple verses later in verse 8? Now Stephen, one of the administrators, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Wait a second, Stephen. You're out of your place. You're supposed to be the secretary. You're out preaching on the streets and getting more people healed than the pastor. What's your problem? You need to get back in order. Stephen, just an ordinary guy, full of the Holy Spirit, given wisdom and revelation and understanding, he decides, you know what? I might not be Peter. I might not be James. I'm definitely not John. But I just happen to believe that, okay, I was in on this downpour. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Now, I wonder what would happen if I step out here and kind of tell somebody. I wonder what's going to happen if I just put my hand upon that crippled person right there and say, be healed. I wonder what will happen. Well, you know what happened? They got healed. And you know, he gets in a lot of trouble for that, of course. And all over and by the next chapter, what's happened to Stephen? Stephen's been killed. Oh, they stoned him. Who, the man who became the Apostle Paul was sitting there saying, yeah, this is a good thing. They're killing him, stoning him. And over in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Here comes my favorite uh, secretary in the body of Christ, Philip. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. And mourn deeply for him. I thought, you know what? Of those seven, Stephen must have been Philip's best friend. He must have been like a really close companion. And here he got murdered. Wait a second. That sounds kind of familiar. My best friend was taken. And I mourn deeply for him. And there was a great persecution. But Philip didn't stop there. Those like Philip in verse 4 who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip even went down to a place that the Jews considered disgusting, Samaria, and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said with shrieks. Evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And I don't understand. Two mornings ago, I sat on the barn porch, screaming at God. I don't understand why this is so difficult. But the love of God compels me. Because I know that what I've received, I can freely give away. And I know that Barry and Matt's deaths are not in vain. And David Van Wassenhoe's death is not in vain. That God brings a lot of fruit 
out of those tragedies that we just can't understand. And what I'm completely sold out to is what the Bible tells me. And that's that Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit. And not only did He commission the twelve, but then the seventy and then me. And He said, now Matthew, freely you've received, now freely give. Now go and cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead. And I've got a long ways to go before a 100% success rate on all that, as I'm sure you have. But what I see here is that I have a, a, I have a fork in the road. I can either, either go the route of like my experience and safe theology, or I can go the route of, of the kingdom and the glory and the power. I can either go the route of, well, all the gifts must have died with the apostles, or I can go the route of, no, wait a second, the same Jesus that lived in them now lives in me. So I can go out there, and technically, I can have an outpouring anytime I want to. Why? Because that outpouring, John 7, we just read it, where does it come from? It comes from my innermost parts. It comes from my innermost being that it can just flow out. So church, every time we gather, we have an outpouring. Or we should. Or we could. I see places in America, in North America, that it seems like there's shifts that have happened. And I don't mean to be restrictive because there's probably others, but places like Toronto that's going on two decades now of outpouring. Why? Because God downpoured 20 years ago, almost, initiated with Randy Clark and John Arnott and these guys, and then a revelation came. You know what? The downpour won't always last, but that's okay. It's not supposed to. Now it's time for the outpour. Now let's just release what we've got. Wow, what an idea. Then you see other places like Redding, California, where the same thing has happened, what, 15 years now at Bill Johnson's church? It's like, whoa, guys, it's time for the downpour we've received. Now let's outpour. Let's let it flow out of us. So we can either all just pack our bags right now and move to Reading or Toronto. Or, wait, I got an idea. Pick me, pick me. Or we can say what? We can say, okay, River Life Fellowship. We can look at each other and say, let's go for an outpour. What do you think? Let's go for an outpouring. Let's just get out of there. Well, why does it always have to be about healing? Well, it doesn't have to be about healing. Because I love just seeing sozo happen, which includes salvation and deliverance. You know, it can be about all those things. Great counseling. Traffic flow problems in Mooresville can be a part of it. Whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be all about healing. But if you just skim through those pages in Mark, it's one healing testimony right after the other. So why do I care about healing so much? Well, number one, there's a lot of sick people. And number two, because Jesus cared about healing. He healed so many people. Why did He do that? Because the love of God consumed Him. He just didn't care about what the religious folks said or what they thought. And they call him, they said He was possessed by Satan Himself and just all these evil things. But he did what? He freely forgave. 
even dying on the cross, he just forgave freely. And Addison spoke of, of humility, which is a big key. He humbled himself, and then he just loved. He just loved, and he loved, and he loved, and he, until he couldn't love anymore. And I don't know if you've ever been loved on by Jesus. I'm pretty sure that you have, because you probably wouldn't be here this morning if you hadn't been, even unless... You were just brought here or drug here or whatever and you're being loved on right now because Jesus is getting ready to love on you some more. Because I don't think I love enough. I don't think I've seen enough love. I don't think I've received enough love. I don't think I've given enough love. I don't think I've smelled enough love. I don't think I've been consumed by enough love. Because who is God? He's just pure, just unadulterated undefiled, liquid, oozing love. That's who our God is. And that's where outpouring starts. Now the Lord has spoken to, our, to the church leadership about this thing. And we're making plans right now in 2010 for 2010 to be a year of focusing on freely you have received, now freely give of outpouring. Okay? And we've got to re- we're going to go away for a weekend in November to really pray and seek God about this and, and, and develop specific plans and strategies so you can be praying for us that third weekend in November. But this is serious stuff because I want to see awakening happen in America. You know what I'm saying? And God sovereignly downpours with an expectation that we're going to respond in outpour. And we're like, God, God, fall, God, come. God, fall, God, come. And he's like, I have. Now what are you going to do with it? You know? I mean, he wouldn't have had to send out the 12 and the 70 if he could have just gone out and done it all himself. He can do it himself, but he sure likes for you to be involved. You know? So I'm going to ask Andy to come and... uh If we could just all stand and sing how He loves us this morning. And uh, I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would just saturate you continually throughout the song and even the coming weeks and months with just a, a downpour of love that it can be outpoured into the world. Because, you know, we can get all hip, hip, hurrah about, about witnessing and healing the sick and stuff. But if all that doesn't come from the source of God's love, it's a resounding gong and a claiming symbol. You know what I'm saying? So Lord, Holy Spirit, baptize us in Your love today. Saturate us, mind, soul, and spirit with the glory of Your love. Let it fall on us like an all-consuming fire. Let it burn in us as a consuming passion that cannot be quenched. Lord, everywhere we turn, let, we ne- let us never be separated from Your love. Everywhere we turn, let us encounter Your love and see Your love in action, God. If you want prayer, uh, laying on of hands and impartation during this song, you can come up, but you don't have to. If you'd rather just stay where you are or get somewhere else and just 
soak in the love of God, please by all means do that. But right now, at the same time, I know God's love brings healing and restoration to hearts and restoration to bodies. So just let Him what He wants to do.